Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Running Excuses Season 3, Episode 17. More Q&A at World Gone. 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And I'm Mary. And once again, Mary Robinette Kowal joins us. Um, Hugo nominee will be polling for you um, in two days. Um, and, oh, you too, Howard. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Howard. You're up against Joss Whedon. I, I just know. don't know. If it's <laughs> even, can someone beat Joss Whedon? And if, I don't think it, if it, anybody Joss can, Whedon turns up Phil dead. Folio can. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, um, we have three more questions from our audience that um, we are going to keep answering here. So, who was the next one? Um, it was, uh, what oh, to do? Oh, that was me. Oh, oh, no, no, no. Yours is the next one. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. It's his. Yeah, come on up, I think. Yes. Get up here and speak at the book. Okay, here's the book, the sacred book. Speaking to the book. All right, so what is your standard uh, plan of response if the characters revolt and start taking over the story? Okay, this is something that writers often ask about, um, aspiring writers, and you, you hear talked about what to do when you're writing along and your characters, people describing, oh, my characters decided they wanted to go this direction instead of this direction, or my characters decided they wanted to do this. How, how do you respond to that? Mary, what do, what do, you, what do you do? Um, my feeling is that if, if the character is doing something that's not good for the story, then I've cast the wrong character. Um, so therefore, I need to go back and, and reconsider it. Um, I don't think that I'm only going to ever come up with one brilliant character, so I can just save them for another story that's that's appropriate. But yeah, I've um, I've noticed, and I've asked this of um, of professional writers a lot. A lot of them, the pros, don't ask this question as often. Um, they actually back up a few steps and say, okay. Why is this character trying to deviate? Yep. That means there's a problem. Either the wrong character is cast, which you've mentioned, mm -hmm. or you've gotten bored with the story. Mm -hmm. um, and so you haven't built a story that's exciting enough, and so you're trying to th throw spice into it. Um, or you want to. Yeah. Oh, I just had this happen. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I was using historical characters, which uh, I will never do again. <laughs> but I, I, I was like, I've got the wrong historical characters on stage, and I need to go research and find a different one. And came back after doing the research and sat down and looked at it, and we're like, nope, this scene is just dull. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a deeper problem a lot mm -hmm. of times. Uh, another problem could be that you are um, not an outline writer, and you're trying to force yourself to outline write. Some authors don't use outlines, and they don't work for them. Mm -hmm. uh, Stephen King, as we've mentioned before, never outlines. And if you're trying to force yourself to use one, then maybe you shouldn't. Um, you should try it different ways. Maybe you should free write. Um, for me, my characters don't do this. Um, either I've come up with something really interesting that I want to fit into the story, and I say, oh, this would be better, and so I just move from my, my outline. But I'm always in control, personally. Um, Dan? Um, when this happens to me, it is usually a, uh, a dialogue problem. I like to write dialogue very organically and, and make it flow. And when it starts flowing in the wrong direction, I can immediately tell. And I think, you know, this, this scene is not going to end the way I wanted it to because now the characters are talking about something else. However, it's still interesting. Mm. 
And so the, the thing I do is just write it out. I will write that scene and I'll see where the characters want to go, if they eventually get back on topic, if where they're going is more interesting. And by the end I can tell, okay, I need to, I need to kill this, I need to go back and I need to tweak the beginning so that this conversation will go in the right direction. Or sometimes I'll think, well this turned out better than I expected because it went in a different way. And so sometimes just, you just keep going and keep going and it, it, the problem might fix itself or suggest its own resolution. Yeah. Go ahead, Mary. Well, you just, uh, you just said something that made me think that one of the things that I often find is that when I'm having a problem, it's not with the section that I'm in. It's with the section two or three back or way back, that it's some earlier groundwork that I've done. Well, and this also might go back to uh, the concept of killing your darlings sometimes. Yeah. Um, we did a whole podcast on that. You can, you can listen to it. Um, I've, I've been in writing groups with Dan for a long time. And sometimes Dan has sections that are pure genius that don't belong in the book. Um, and he, he, he'll, He's always very quick to point those out to me, yeah. too. But they'll be brilliant. And he'll be writing along, and it's going completely the wrong direction. And that's what's happened is he's just, Dan's very good at di with dialogue, very good with language, and he gets on a roll, and then the scene turns out brilliant, but you can have a brilliant scene that is wrong for the book. Um, and so sometimes you have to write those out and then just cut them. Use them later. And Eric, sometimes you, you have to wait until the writing group tells you to cut it out. Yeah. That sure would be nice. Once I've started, <laughs> once I've started penciling and inking the page, I'm not going to throw it away. Good night. That's, that's, that's work that I'm not going to do quite. I'll rewrite something if it doesn't have art associated with it, but once I've started arting. Um, so what do you do? You just follow the characters if they go off somewhere. If the characters start going somewhere, uh, I can usually tell while I'm scripting that, you know, oh, that's going to change the story now, isn't it? And I'll evaluate. Is it changing the story because this is what the characters would really do? Is it changing the story because the story's boring and I want to do something else? Or is it changing the story because the story that I had outlined is not nearly so interesting as this horrible, horrible thing that's going to happen if the characters decide to actually do this? And obviously, I usually lean towards you know making things worse. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, we've, we've talked about before. You have um, sometimes a different motivation. You want to be funny every day. That and that's where that yeah. and that is a that is a trap that uh, I I cannot prevent myself from putting my foot in. Sometimes, in order to make a joke, you know, the character who is on screen has to reveal something about himself or herself that is going to change the story. And I will look at that joke long and hard. And if the joke is funny enough, that's it. Well, we have a new piece of information that just changed the whole shooting match. Right. Um, next question was actually Mary's. So, yeah. um, do you want me to remind you what it is? It was. Um, um, uh, oh yes. What? Yeah. What has surprised you? Yeah. What? Difficulty. Yeah. Go ahead. You just okay. asked it. Yeah. When you became a writer, um, first started writing, what things surprised you in their difficulty? Um, I'm curious about this too. We're going to make Dan answer first. Haha. <laughs> this is too easy for me. I nothing's been difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Finding food in Ben's fridge. Yeah, the guy whose house I use as an office never stocks his food with, frid with, his food with fridge. Uh, the most difficult part for me is speaking clearly. Um, the most difficult part for me has been, uh, of writing has been uh, moving on. Uh, I know this is not a question that our aspiring authors are, are going to, you know, not necessarily going to speak to them. But uh, I sold a book that turned into a trilogy and everyone wanted it and I wrote books two and three knowing that they had already been sold and that those characters in the world had already been accepted. Uh, moving on to a new project, 
terrified me. It was the hardest thing I think I've ever done since I started writing because I was writing something new that I didn't know if they were going to like me anymore. You know, that is surprisingly hard. Um, I'll say that that surprised me, even though it didn't, it wasn't as hard for me um, because I, I like moving on to new projects, but when I, every time I release a book, it surprises me how anxious I get about, oh, now they're going to hate this one. Um, I guess that's the art, artist temperament. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that, though, the thing that surprised me most was, um, was revision. Um, I was not anticipating revision being the hardest part of writing a book. It's easier for me to plan a book and write a book than it is for me to re revise a book. I would much rather write a completely new one than revise the one I'm working on, particularly once the 17th draft rolls around. Um, we did on the Wheel of Time book 17 drafts. Um, so, yeah, normally Ow. I do eight or nine. Um, so, even by it's draft It's only twice as four, much. Only twice as many. Um, um, when, yeah. I hate it. I hate revising. <laughs> hate, hate, hate. But it makes the books much better. Wow. Yeah. Eight or nine. Yeah. Seventeen. Yeah. Nah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, mine was, uh, the, the thing that it was hard for me was I, I could write good beginnings and I could write good endings. The middles. Like, give, oh, and, and yeah. it, was, it was like I would write a good beginning and I would have really great ending and they were from two different stories that just happened to be in the same you know, Word document. And there's this skinny bridge between the two of them, yes. and this angry wizard standing there saying, yes. you shall not pass. Yes, and, and asking me about sparrows, and I mean. Yeah, I, I would agree. That's, middles are the hardest part. That didn't surprise me so much as, um, as the other things, but they are really tough. You know, for me, I actually think it's been reversed. I, I've never been super good at endings. Beginnings uh, are difficult, but the middle, I can write the middle of a book forever. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right, Howard, what surprised you? Um, coming up with a punchline every day. Mm -hmm. um, I, I actually thought it would be harder than it was, and sometimes I look back and I wonder how I'm doing it, because the moment I start thinking about it, I'm like the bumblebee who's studying aerodynamics and can't fly anymore, uh, because it just... <laughs> It, it just stops working, and so it, it's one of those things where I have to remind myself when I start writing, oh yeah, there's something i got to do at the end of this strip, but that's not what I'm thinking about right now. What I'm thinking about right now is just moving the story forward, writing some dialogue, and panel four, and oh my gosh, there's a punchline. Woohoo, it happened. You know, I wrote, um, I, I actually um, posted this on my, on my Twitter just a little while ago. I tweeted it, I guess. Um, I was trying to write, there's a character who's very witty in the book I'm working on right now, and, I realized writing the witty parts took twice as long, uh -huh. twice as much effort per word as writing the dramatic parts. And I don't know if that means I'm naturally more dramatic or if it just, I don't know, but it was really rough. It takes, it takes practice. And what I've found is that when I come up with the punchline or when I come up with the, the joke that I want to tell, I will then look back over the strip and say, okay, now let's deliver this properly. And I will rewrite the dialogue so that the phrasings of the words, uh, comedy is like poetry in that the words have shape, the sentences have shape. There are things that you can do to make, for instance, the word monkey is a funny word. You can make the word monkey funnier by setting it up with other words. Um, setting it up with, you know, the word predestined is not as funny as setting it up with the word, you know, poo or banana. Um, at the predestined monkey is a great band, by the way. Yeah. Actually, that's going to be our writing prompt. Well... I am so sorry. <laughs> we'll do that at the end, though. All right. I'm a big fan of monkeys, you yeah. know. Predestined monkeys? Evil robot monkey. Oh, yeah. 
All right, um, one last question, um, and then we'll wrap up. My question is, one of the most important things in each book is the world it's set in and the history that keeps propping up throughout the book. You learn bits and pieces. How do you build that world and the history? Okay, how do you build the history for your books or your stories? Um, this, this applies even when you're writing non-science fiction and fantasy, when you're writing mainstream, the characters are going to have history. The setting's going to have history. How do you devise that? How do you make it real? Mary, why don't you go ahead? Um, boy, that's a... It depends. I mean, the, the thing that I do is I cheat and I look at existing structures. Um, so I, I look... Like, if I'm trying to create a truly unique and original world, one of the things that I, I've done is that I've done kind of a survey of different cultures across the world to see what common things exist, because that gives me a, a basic building block. It's like, well, I, I can believably interpret that someone is going to have developed glass because it arose in several different cultures. Um, and, and so then I start looking at how things connect together. You know, if, if I've got glass, then I also have to have quarries and if I have quarries then stone building is also going to be important and and so I, I try to build out from that and look for um, look at the lenses that that people will view the world through because um, like you know if a baker walks into the room in, into a kitchen the first thing they're going to notice is if the counters are clean if an artist walks into the same kitchen they're going to notice if what color the walls are and if the paintings are crooked and it's the same thing in the world you know, if I've got a, a temple that's, you know, got a, a goddess of swords, those people are going to view things through the metaphors of swords and blades and things like that. So it's, the, I could have actually made this much easier. When I teach puppetry and we're doing adaptation, the thing I talk about is if you change one thing, it changes everything. So everything is connected. Okay. Um, Howard, let's... Let you answer next, because you're always last. I don't want you to feel last. I mean, you're more like next to last in my book. Penultimate. <laughs> Penultimate. Um, the, the technologies and the histories and stuff that I build in the Schlock Mercenary universe grow out of silly commentary I want to make in footnotes. Uh, and then I look back at the jokes I've made and say, hmm, how could that have happened to the French? And, and then, then I right? Horrible things happening to the friend. I'm sorry, I had a medical experience in Nice that was not very Nice. Um, but uh, a lot of what I do is just taking elements that I know have worked and reusing them. Somebody came up to me uh, last night during the, during the parties and said, what are those little antenna that stick off of everything? What, what piece of technology is that? He was talking about the little, I call them obligatory fiddly bits, little stick with a yellow ball on the end. Uh, and I attach them to everything. He says, what do they do? I don't know, but it identifies things as schlock mercenary technology, and my readers get that. I don't need to know what they do. I just know that it makes them high tech. And, and that sort of principle is probably all the way through my sloppily written histories. Um, I use the, the grand old uh, writerly tradition of stealing like a thief, particularly from history. Um, and uh, history books work wonders for coming up and developing your histories and um, I use them extensively honestly that's the, the best thing I do but it's also goal-driven for me um, I will decide okay what is important to this story mm -hmm. and some stories 
the religion is going to be very important, and I will world build and build the history of the religion a lot, but the language is going to be less important, so I won't develop how the language has happened. I talk about this a lot in the, in the podcast, but I decide what are my goals, and how can I flesh out that, the, those goals and make the history like another character. Uh, my use of history in my books, because I write in the modern world, tends to focus on character history, and that's a combination of pre-planning and... Uh, serendipitous happenstance. And a great example uh, is, you know, in, in, the seri in Serial Killer, I was developing, you know, the, his relationship, the, the main character, and then that meant he needed a mother, and I wanted him to have an absent father. And that told me a lot about the mother. Um, I also wanted that mother to have a twin sister. And the first time the twin sister walks on, on screen in the first chapter, um, I wanted to compare her. I wanted to describe her and I thought, well, I'll compare her to the mother. She's always seemed, you know, she, she was indistinguishable from the mother, except she seemed happier. And I wrote the line, that's probably because she'd never been married. And I wrote that because it was snarky, but then I thought, you know what, maybe she hasn't been married. And then that started telling me all kinds of other things about those characters and what their relationship was. And I built that into the story, and it ended up working really well. And so a, a combination of planning and then you know, grabbing those nice hooks when they when they show their face. Serendipitous uh, snark. Yeah. 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 And working backward. Mm -hmm. Can I, I've remembered three things, and I can't remember who t mentioned them, but three things that have been really fabulous tools for me when dealing with like new magic or new technology in a in a world that that I should look at um, how that magic or technology affects the poorest class, how it affects the richest class, and how it can be abused. That's very good advice. Um, all right, uh, we'll go ahead and end with the writing prompt, which is you're going to write a band called the pre about a band called the Predestined Monkeys. I thought you just make them write about a predestined monkey. Well, okay, they can Whether make it a band a if they band want. Or a, a monkey of it can be a or... band of predestined monkeys. <laughs> Something like that is uh, your writing prompt. Um, this has been Ryan Hughes. Special thanks to Mary for sitting in on three of Thank these. Thank you, Mary. Happy to be here. Thank you all for audience for giving us questions and uh, keep on listening. You have no more excuses. Now, now go, go right. right. Okay. Bye bye. Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine a pound. All with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.